Welcome back to Buddha Solutions for Life's Problems, a podcast by SGI USA on which we explore how to apply SGI Nichiren Buddhism to the challenges of daily life. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Before we begin, for anyone who's new to the show or the practice, SGI Nichiren Buddhism is based on chanting Nam-myoho Renge-kyo, which is a way to call forth what we refer to as our Buddhahood, unlimited reserves of courage, wisdom, and compassion to navigate life. To learn more about the basics of the practice, you can visit worldtribune.org. Today, we're exploring the question of love. What does Buddhism say is the key to achieving fulfilling romantic relationships, and how can we use our practice to help us do so? Today, we're going to discuss this problem and much more. Let's start at the beginning. Romantic relationships are tough for many reasons. For some of us, finding a life partner and deciding if they're the one is a challenge. Along the way, we may experience heartbreak or rejection. And when we do commit to a partnership, making a long-term relationship actually work in a way that supports both partners' happiness isn't easy either. Buddhism teaches that happiness is not something another person can give us. We must build it ourselves, starting by creating a strong inner core. Consider this story. In the classic samurai novel Musashi, the novel's hero, the swordsman Miyamoto Musashi, gazes at Mount Fuji and tells his young student, Rather than worrying about your future thinking, perhaps I should become this, perhaps I should become that, first be still and build a self that is as solid and unmoving as Mount Fuji. I share this because while relationships are an inevitable part of being alive, Developing a strong inner core is the key to developing a healthy, long-lasting relationship, especially one that leads to a happy and fulfilling life. We can use our Buddhist practice for self and others to do just that, which, practically speaking, consists of daily chanting of Nam-myoho Renge-kyo, Buddhist study, and engaging in dialogue with friends about Buddhism. All these actions help us bring out the best in ourselves while strengthening our inner core. Ikeda-sensei explains why doing this inner work is so important, saying, Ultimately, the relationships you form are a reflection of your own state of life. As you'll hear in the stories today, the fastest route to a fulfilling relationship is to first develop the qualities we want in an ideal partner in ourselves. So, the episode is structured in two parts. After talking about what love really means in Buddhism, based on Ikeda-sensei's guidance, we'll cover two topics. First, the journey to find a partner, in which we'll hear the story of Sarah Luther's brilliant human revolution. And then we'll cover the journey to making a long-term relationship work, where we'll hear the love story and reflections of Tanisha Coleman and Raphael Valentin. In part one, you'll also meet my new co-host for the show, Ayumi Inoue. So... Let's jump in. We both somehow felt when we got married and when we started our relationship that we would use our uh, marriage for Kosan Rufu. That is our mission to help and encourage, you know, other people. That's Tanisha Coleman. She was born in Panama, the eldest of eight children, 
And one day, when she was in graduate school for social work in Brooklyn, a young man told her about chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. I started laughing, you know, this crazy guy, you know. Between the time it took to walk to my building, get to my building, which was like two minutes or so or less, he told me about cause and effect, and he told me about taking responsibility. I'm looking up outside myself, you know. Told me about chanting Nami Orengekan, you could get whatever you want, you know. All of that in like two seconds. Eventually, Tanisha started chanting and attending SGI meetings, and she never looked back. Really, why I started practicing, even though know, one of my leaders told me later on, said, You start practicing to get married. And I said, Yes, I did. <laughs> so that was my initial dream, you know. I was told I could chant for anything, and I wanted to get married. My karma was one heartbreak after another. That was my karma before I started practicing. I'm going to pause Tanisha's story there because you'll hear the full thing in part two. And you'll also meet her husband, Raphael, who she married in 2017. But before we get into the story, let's start today by examining what love really is. While love can be a great font of inspiration, it's easy to lose all objectivity when we fall in love. In reality, love is a complex matter that can't be solved by checking off boxes. Still, in Buddhism, there are indicators of what a healthy, mutually supportive relationship looks like at any stage. Consider these gleaned from Ikeda Sensei's guidance. First, love means sharing the same dream. The celebrated novelist Antoine de Saint-Exupéry observed, Love does not consist in gazing at each other, but in looking outward together in the same direction. There is no comradeship except through union in the same high effort. In this way, when we uphold a common vision for what kind of people we want to be and what type of family and society we want to create, that vision enables us to always move forward, mutually inspiring one another, and sharing our joys and sorrows along the way. Second, the love that we possess is boundless. Falling in love can be exhilarating, filling our days with drama and excitement that are normally absent from daily life. Sometimes, however, couples can build an island where without the other, neither is complete. If, as a result, we veer from our chosen path, Sensei explains that love becomes mere escapism. Rather than viewing this as a limited resource to be shared sparingly, authentic love powers our commitment to support others and enables us to grow ever more human in the process. Sensei elaborates, If you genuinely love someone, then through your relationship with them, you can develop into a person whose love extends to all humanity— Such a relationship serves to strengthen, elevate, and enrich your inner realm of life. So, we'll return to Tanisha and Raphael's story, which is all about how the journey to their relationship and the relationship they now share has helped them extend their love to all people. But before we do that, let's consider what it even takes to find a partner. I'm now going to hand it over to my co-host, Ayumi, to discuss what Buddhism says about finding a partner. 
Thanks, Jihee. So now that we know the indicators of love, we're good to go, right? Well, let's face it, it's still complicated. Fortunately, we have our Buddhist practice to navigate any and every kind of challenge. So in part one, we'll address the issue on many people's minds, how to find a partner. Ultimately, it's our personal decision with who we choose to love, but it takes time to really get to know another person, and sometimes to truly open up ourselves. I'm sure we've been there, overanalyzing things, trying a bit too hard to impress the other person, or that spark just wasn't there. So, if you're wondering, can't I find someone that just accepts me as I am? Well, you absolutely can. The first step is to learn to respect and accept yourself as you really are. And that's where chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo brings forth the wisdom to see your life clearly. So, today, to bring this point to life, I'm going to speak with Sarah Luther, a young woman practicing Buddhism in Texas. She has a great experience of finding the one all through her human revolution. But before we get into the conversation, we do want to emphasize that in no way should we pressure ourselves with artificial timelines towards starting a relationship or getting married. And if it doesn't happen right away, it doesn't mean it's hopeless. In discussions on youth, Sensei actually speaks about this where he says, There is no need to rush into anything. You don't need to be in a hurry. If there is someone you like, What's wrong with holding on to that feeling inside your heart for a while and resolving to polish yourself so that you can become the kind of person he or she or anyone will be proud to be with? Such a spirit of self-development is most admirable, I feel. Whether or not that person ever learns how you feel in your heart, with time, those feelings will grow and mature like a fine wine. Sensei's words here go back to that analogy from Musashi that we mentioned earlier in this episode. Everything comes back to building a self that is as solid and unmoving as Mount Fuji. Okay, now let's meet Sarah, and we'll start by hearing how she began her Buddhist practice. I'm Sarah. I live in Dallas, Texas, and I was born into this practice. I was very active in like the youth performing groups and the junior senior high as well, which I realize now laid a foundation for my practice when I got older because I had no idea that even though I was having fun with my friends, I was actually learning the Buddhist concepts and learning to study and chant and all that as well. Sarah went on to overcome challenges with academics, her career, and many other things through her consistent Buddhist practice. But there was one area of her life that she continued to struggle with. Just with everything in my life, I'd always have self-doubt and I would battle these tendencies of confidence. And because of that, I always tend to, just with everything, push people out of my life because I was so afraid to get hurt. Getting into a relationship wasn't so much the problem for Sarah, but her friends were all aware of her pattern a pattern where she would push her partners out of her life. In every relationship I had, I would find everything in their lives that I just, like, let's say 
um, this person chewed with his mouth open, you know, and I'd be like, that's disgusting. You know, I would just find different things that are just not the nicest, right? And I became very mean and I would push them away to the point where they would um, end the relationship. And I remember sitting there like, I told you, like they did not want to be with me, right? It was because ultimately I was very, very scared of um, getting hurt. So I thought me pushing these um, these guys out of my life would be easier in the long run versus me getting hurt. In 2018, this pattern resurfaced and her relationship with a person who she thought was the one was ending. And one night she came face to face with reality. I was doing all these activities or traveling for work and I came home one day and I was like really lonely, right? Like there was nobody at my house. And I realized, I was like, how? That's not fun, you know? Cause we always have that concept of we have to win in every aspect of our lives, right? So if I'm already winning at work in my SGI activities with my friends, but I can't win at my relationship, you know? And I was like, I, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. How many of us can relate to this? That feeling of enough is enough. It's in crucial moments like these that our Buddhist practice kicks in. And we can either accept reality as is, or we can decide to transform it. So I think that moment realized, okay, if you want to see these changes in your life, this external changes, it's like has to start with myself. And that's when I really, um, started developing different things to love myself and ripping out that self-doubt and the self, um, the lack of confidence that was there because she's down there somewhere right inside, but she was just ready to come out and unleash herself. We can see that this was a new beginning in Sarah's human revolution, but we do want to acknowledge this. Sometimes in our heart, we know the change we want to make but we may still not know what to do or how to go about it. In situations like this, our greatest asset is to have seniors in faith that we can open up to and seek from. So, a few months later, Sarah went to receive guidance. I had a guidance session with a senior in faith, and I remember she uh, was asking me, like, how's your you know, relationship going? Like, those questions and everything, and I was like, I don't know. I guess it's good. Or, you know, how's your love life? You know, all that stuff. And I kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. Like, what should it be like? And and she shared, she was like, the reason why you keep, you know, of course, because you're not serious, right? Like, you don't know what you want in your life. You don't know what you're looking for in a relationship. And because of that, you keep receiving individuals or guys who don't know what they want with you. So as a practical step, her senior in faith encouraged her to write a list a clear list of what she wanted in her life and relationship. She really encouraged me to write down everything, like, to the details. And I was just like, no. But I realized the reason why I was so hesitant is because I was so afraid of the word love or finding someone because I felt like, again, all these tendencies in my past of me pushing these guys away. And I really, you know, I'm too afraid, right? Despite her initial hesitation, she went on to write down a list of everything. When I created that list, it made it more of a reality. Like having that list in front of you, it makes it more like, you know, real. The fact that I'm not going to run away, like I am sick and tired of feeling this way. I really want to make sure everything on the list happens. Okay, 
Let's pause here and unpack this for a second. Why are we encouraged to write a list of our prayers? While Sensei shared this guidance with future division members, there's something very direct and practical that we can all walk away with. He says in Soar Into the Skies of Hope, Some of you may give up on doing something before you even try because you feel you wouldn't be good at it anyway. If you have this problem, I'd like to suggest a good way to overcome it. Start by writing down your dreams or goals on a piece of paper. There's something really magical about the written word. Writing down what you want to do will put you on the path to get there. After writing down your goals, chant about them. When you chant, the lion-like courage and determination to realize your goals and dreams will well up inside you. And in discussions on youth, Sensei also shared, It is important that our prayers be specific and concrete. Being vague and unfocused when you chant is like shooting an arrow without looking at the target. When you chant, it should be with a strong, passionate resolve to make your prayer a reality. So, it's not some wish list that will magically be granted to us, but it's the act of making a clear determination and revisiting that list each day while chanting to the Gohonzon to redetermine. And going deeper, in the case of Sarah, it was about mustering up the courage to declare that she is worthy of happiness and winning over her doubts. Okay, let's come back to Sarah. She started chanting with this list, but her prayer also evolved over time. Slowly but surely, I just really chanted for myself first. Like I just chanted to love myself. And so I started doing activities that I enjoy that brought out more confidence and erased that self-doubt of my heart. Along the way, she studied the New Human Revolution, Volume 26, and this encouragement from Ikeda Sensei struck her. When people's hearts change and they arouse great courage, their voice, expression, behavior, and spirit also change, and they could transform every aspect of their lives. This is the principle of the oneness of life and its environment. With this in mind, Sarah continued engaging in her Buddhist practice while encouraging other young women going through similar challenges in her responsibility as a young women's leader. During this time, she went on a few dates, but they didn't work out. But something was starting to shift within her. I woke up one day and I just felt so um, more confident than I ever. I remember just small things like when people are like, oh, you look great today. You know, in that moment, I realized I was like, yeah, I do. You know, but it's just the fact that this inner confidence came out. It's because I really started loving myself to the point where now I don't care what I look like. I mean, obviously I do, but you know, like I genuinely am so confident and happy that it doesn't matter. I don't need the approval of other people because I have the approval of myself inside. That fall, Sarah reconnected with a friend she had known since 2018. But this friend had a different appeal this time around. I've known him since 2018, which is very ironic because that's whenever I started my transformation. So my friend, um, she's always told me about him, but I kept thinking, I was like, I'm not interested. He is not my type. And he, you could tell, he, has, he says the same thing about me. Like we were just not interested. 
and I realized I had to go through all these things in my life to really appreciate what's you know in front of me and I think that's also for me it's like if we did start dating in 2018 we would not be here together but I had to go through everything and really polish and rip out the different things in my heart so I can really value and treasure like all these moments and just be excited. Sarah shared that her now partner checked off all of the things on her list. So, out of curiosity, I asked Sarah what was something she wrote on her list. One of the things she chanted for was for a person that no matter how much Sarah pushed away, would be able to catch her and push her back. He was different because the one day we had, um, I kept pushing to the point that he wouldn't leave. He literally was like, why are you afraid? Like, why don't you see that you are worth this type of relationship? And I think it was that moment where someone put me in my spot because I'm usually like, it's you, it's you, not me. And so I think that moment that he really challenged myself and really hit those words that I was really trying to chant and rip out of my heart, like the self-doubt, you know? And he's like, why are you self-doubting on us? Do you not think you're worth, you know, this relationship or beyond? And in that moment, I was like, dang, you're right. It's me. So I think it was just like, he really tested me and made me realize that, again, what am I doing? Today, Sarah is honest to share that her human revolution continues. She pushes him away, but he pushes back. But through each road bump, they both reaffirm that they're worthy of a harmonious and loving relationship. And this wonderful relationship they now share is the result of her determination to change and value her own life. In this way, romantic relationships can help us more deeply reveal what is in our hearts and what it is we truly desire. Such relationships, as well as all our other relationships, are wonderful avenues for strengthening our character and becoming more considerate, appreciative, and mature in our interactions with those around us. It's not the relationship itself, but the growth we experience through that relationship that makes us happy. In fact, the Chinese characters for human revolution, the type of growth that we've been discussing, is actually depicted as change occurring in the space between people. In other words, we grow and mature like fine wine through our interactions with others. So, as we wrapped up our conversation, I asked Sarah if she had any words of advice for those who are also struggling to find the one. I would say um, don't give up on love. Just even though it's a very scary and unknown and you feel like it's never going to happen, but that person is out there, but they aren't ready for you yet because you have to really love yourself and transform whatever these things that you're going through. and. You know, like, seriously, yeah, don't, don't give up on love. Our inner transformation is more powerful than we think, and Sarah shows us proof of this. And, in her own way, she recapped it all for us. And I joke around with him a lot. I said, my life was the happiest it's ever been. Like, you know, like, my life condition was the highest. And um, with you or without you, I'm going to still have this type of life condition or happiness, you know? So you're just the cherry on top of my Sunday that I've already created in my life. 
Those were wise words by Sarah. With or without a relationship, we can still have a great life condition and still cultivate absolute happiness. Which actually brings us to another aspect of love. While starting a relationship is exciting, they can, at times, end with heartbreak. It goes without saying that some of the most iconic love songs are about heartache. There's even a Spotify playlist called Broken Heart with 3 million likes. Some of us may feel as though our lives have lost all meaning when a relationship ends or our hearts are broken. Even if we don't feel that way now, let's be honest, we've all been there. So, before we get into part two, I'd like to impart these words by Sensei in Discussions on Youth for anyone struggling with heartbreak. I'm sure a quite a few among you have had your hearts broken or been badly hurt and perhaps felt unable to go on, your self-esteem in tatters. But you must never believe that you are worthless. There is no substitute for you who is more precious than all the treasures in the universe. It is crucial that you become strong. If you are strong, even your sadness will become a source of nourishment, and the things that make you suffer will purify your lives. Only when we experience the crushing, painful depths of suffering can we begin to understand the true meaning of life. Precisely because we have experienced great suffering, it is imperative that we go on living. The important thing is to keep moving forward. If each of you uses your sadness as a source of growth, you will become a person of greater depth and breadth, an even more wonderful you. These are indeed hopeful words from Sensei, one worth replaying. If you'd like to read more, you can find the details on the show notes. Now, I'll pass it back to Jihi and we'll return to Tanisha and Raphael and hear the story of their marriage and their vision for their relationship. Tanisha Coleman was born in Panama, the eldest of eight children, and she started practicing SGI Nichiren Buddhism when she was in social work school. Her husband, Rafael Valentin, was born in Puerto Rico, the youngest of three boys, and he started practicing SGI Nichiren Buddhism, also in New York, when he was just 15 years old. I was painfully shy and introverted. My brothers and my mother, everyone in my family had a big, loud mouth. So I kind of like tended to go to the other direction, introverted, you know. So, you know, once I started chanting and they asked me to be MC and do experiences and give the explanation of the practice, that broke me out of my intense shyness. One day, Raphael's older brother's friend, who played in a rock band with him, introduced Raphael to Buddhism. At the time, he was in a gang, seeking validation from outside sources while struggling with his own shyness. But once he started chanting, he started seeing his life open up. More friends, more job opportunities, more confidence. And while his mom was wary about him becoming Buddhist, thanks to the support and reassurance of local women's division, he received his own gohonzon. So with conviction and confidence, they told my mother that this was going to, you know, really protect me from the neighborhood. Because we lived in a pretty rough neighborhood at the time. A lot of drugs and, and gangs and stuff going on at the time. So my mother, you know, she listened to the woman. The woman told her, this is going to protect your son and guarantee his future. So 
my mother said, "Okay, you can chant." And 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 you know that was it. Meanwhile, Tanisha, who had begun her practice because of a desire to get married and transform the pain of heartbreak after heartbreak, was digging deep into her own relationship karma. She told me that she had already been married once in Panama to a serviceman who brought her to the United States, but the marriage ended three months later. It was very painful and hard, so I thought, you know, I got to go hunting, and I was told that I would my dreams would be fulfilled. So I thought immediately. I started chanting, started practicing, making causes, and I would find this wonderful man right away who could see my Buddha nature, and we would be married and live happily ever after. But that didn't exactly happen. Instead, she discovered her own low self-esteem and a pattern of attracting men who were domineering and insensitive. So she decided to stop dating altogether. My mother told me that about my my biological father that he had left us, he had abandoned us, her and myself, when I was two years old, and I was suffering from pneumonia and an intensive care in the hospital. And my father decided to just abandon us during that time. So I didn't meet my father until I was 12 years old. And even that, at that time, we didn't, you know, develop a, a, a close bond. So when I look back, I realized that that had a big impact on my life. And in terms of relationships, I was searching for love, searching for my love that my father and I didn't get from my father. Feeling heavy with this realization, Tanisha continued chanting and seeking from seniors in faith to the best of her ability while grappling with her own hopelessness. I went to two leaders. The first one, every time I would go to this leader, he would say, Ah, Tanisha, you keep coming and I keep telling you the same thing. You've probably met your husband already. And I'm like, where? Don't worry. The second one told me that I was not going to change my karma by avoiding relationships. That I had to chant and based on a vow that I would achieve Kosen Rufu in my area and that I deserve happiness and that I should go out there and develop a delicious relationship. Those are her words. And then something changed. After chanting this way for some time, Tanisha went on a trip to Japan where she visited the Hall of the Great Vow and experienced an important turning point in her practice and life. It was so beautiful and magnificent. I just felt so much joy and I felt warmly embraced. And at that time, I just started crying and I didn't have like a lot of gold when I went, you know, like I had... A couple, I went with a couple and they had this long list of determination and I felt bad because I'm like, I don't have that, you know. But at that moment, for some reason, I felt myself saying, Sensei, the next time I come, I'm coming with my husband. And I was really shocked, you know, because I didn't even have a boyfriend. I didn't have anybody in mind. But I did have somebody in mind. <laughs> Before her trip to Japan, she had told one of her friends that she used to have a crush on a man she had met in 1985 who also practiced Buddhism. 
she hadn't done anything about it and crushed the feelings at the time. This time, however, her friend told her that she needed to do something about it. So when I went to Japan and I, I came back, so my girlfriend said to me, well, you're going to have to do something about it. And I'm like, what? You're going to have to invite him out? I'm like, I don't invite men out. Men invite me out. And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, oh, is that working for you? You know? <laughs> She said, he's a great guy. You know, she got all excited and turned out that they were very good friends. You know, she and him and her, and her, her husband, you know, her husband loves him. So Tanisha chanted about it and she decided to take action. She reached out to Raphael and invited him to accompany her to a wedding she was attending. And then he said something very, very perfect. He said, are we getting married? And I said... No, not yet, but if you want to. <laughs> I said, if he's being fresh, I'm being fresh too. <laughs> so that's how we started, you know. So we went to the wedding and I was telling everyone, everyone was like, who's that guy? Who's, who's your date? And I kept telling everyone, he's not a date. He's someone who just offered to accompany me to this wedding. That's it. And I had to say it all night. And people were telling me, right away, people were telling me, that's the one. When Tanisha came into my life, you know, as a, as a marriage partner, at the time I had, uh, you know, you know, prior to that, I had lost my mother in 2008. Then I had cancer in 2011 and 12. And then my brother, uh, who I lived with in, in a three-family home in the Bronx, uh, he had cancer in 2014 and passed away. So, you know, there was, you know, uh, you know, quite a few things going on. And right after that uh, was when Tanisha came into my life. And I, honestly, at the time, I wasn't thinking about love or a partner. I was more focused on, on overcoming my, my grief, you know, from the loss of my brother and my mother. You know, so I wouldn't say I had given up, but it was the last thing on my mind. You know, so it kind of like took me by surprise, you know, but before that, for many years, I had been chatting and, and, and hoping to meet someone. Raphael's own story had been filled with relationship challenges, with most relationships not lasting more than two years. He also recognizes these as patterns of family karma. Although my father wasn't around, we did know him. He, he would visit and we knew who he was and we spoke to him. Um, but based on uh, us growing up, there was a lot of dysfunction, a lot of arguing growing up, you know. So I mistook dysfunction for love. <laughs> so wherever, I, whatever relationship I had, there was a lot of dysfunction, yelling, arguing. But as Raphael's Buddhist practice developed, and especially his sense of trust in the SGI and Ikeda Sensei as his mentor, he started taking more and more responsibility for his life. I, I learned to, to not to complain and to have gratitude and appreciation for everything and anything that comes my way. So for me, I, I have utter conviction, you know, that, you know, that these things will, will manifest, that they will come to light. As long as I continue to make, you know, of course, the spiritual causes like chanting Daimoku, doing Shakabuku, studying, you know, uh, trusting, you know, you know, sensei. Sensei's guidance, the, the organization, going for guidance, like Tanisha had mentioned, you know, going for guidance from people more experienced in faith than you are, 
and having an open mind, having an open heart. Along this journey of his own human revolution, in 2012, Raphael was diagnosed with cancer, which profoundly shifted his perspective on both self-love and Kosen Rufu, two things that eventually became the foundation for his relationship with Tanisha. After I, I finished treatment, I started to take care of myself in ways that I never had, you know, and, and that included everything that went inside my mouth, you know, food, and everything that went out. In other words, attitude or, or you know, you know, perspective. And then also the basics of, of, you know, I was, you know, you know, taking care of myself, not just going to the, you know, primary care doctor, but also going to the eye doctor, going to the urologist, going to the, you know, the dentist, you know, and I also enjoy taking Tanisha now to, to her appointments as well. So we, you know, we go to our medical appointments together. But for me, it's, it's just like the basics of happiness has been to have a consistent practice, consistent ganyo, abundant daimoku, abundant, sincere daimoku, and then also sharing this Buddhism. And I have conviction, I have you know, deep conviction that this could transform anyone's life as well. In 2017, Tanisha and Raphael got married. He proposed on a cold, snowy January day, her birthday at home. It was one of the worst days in New York. It was snowy, tall feet of snow. I mean, we were all shook in. And I'm here looking, I don't know, I don't know what I was looking like, orphan Annie or something. And next thing I saw him on his knee. I'm like, what are you doing? What? <laughs> I'm like, could you at least wait? Till I looked a little bit more presentable. <laughs> so the phone, the phone rang at that moment, and it was one of the, an elderly member. She called to wish me happy birthday, and I said, "Oh, you're the first one to know this. Rafael just proposed." And she said, "Wise woman." She said, "What did you say?" I said, "Ah." Huh? I said, "Oh, I was calling him because I looked so horrible." And he chose this time to propose to me. She said, I said, oh, Raphael, did I say yes? <laughs> he said, no, but I know you meant yes. <laughs> when I asked Tanisha and Raphael how they chanted about transforming their relationship karma, they shared that it was based on each of them doing their own human revolution, which meant never blaming the other person for a situation. With me, it was really the struggle to really grasp it in my life that it wasn't about the other person, it was about me. And that's, that's very, at least, was very difficult to me because I used to be, still, I'm a little bit a perfectionist. I am perfect, you know? So it can't be me. The problem can't be with me. It has to be with the other person. And I realized, what I came to realize was that although I wanted a relationship, I had fear that I would never have one because if my father didn't want me, how would another man want me? You know, and that was like really, you know. So I knew I had to like really dig deep, deep and, and really trust that I was a Buddha. You know, our, our thing in common is that we love this organization. We love Sensei. 
We love the World Tribune. We love doing Shakabuku. We love studying. So, you know, that's what we have so much in common. And, you know, when I, you know, when I started to learn, you know, of course, you know, you see Tanisha, she's beautiful. You know, I call her my beautiful baby in my mind. My beautiful baby is hungry, you know, and I, I'm the chef in the house, so I cook for her. So I know exactly, you know, what she likes, what she doesn't like, how to cut her plantains. You know, she likes them cut in a certain way. So for me, that's how I express my love for her. They also shared this passage with me from Ikeda Sensei, which is guidance that was directed toward young women, but applicable to pretty much anyone. It reads, Different people get married at different times. Some get married quite early, while others don't marry until later. Every person has their own unique path through life. There is no need to be anxious just because others around you are getting married and you are not. The important thing is to build a strong, invincible self during your years as a Young Women's Division member so that you can face whatever the future holds for you. When they're in love, many young women think that getting married will make them truly happy, but this is not really the case. After you are married for a while and the initial passion naturally fades, you will start to notice one another's faults. Perhaps your husband may become deadlocked at work or he may become ill or have some kind of unexpected accident. The same thing may also happen to you. We all have our karma and we never know what challenges we will face in life. That's why it's important to accumulate as much good fortune as possible when we are young and strive to transform our karma, cultivating an inner strength that can't be defeated by anything. That's the aim of our Buddhist faith and practice. In another passage, Ikeda Sensei also explains that whether a marriage is happy or not depends on the effort two people put into it. He writes, With marriage, your circumstances will change, but that does not mean that your personal destiny or karma have changed. No matter where or with whom you live, if illness is your fate, you will still fall ill. And if economic hardship is your karma, you cannot escape it. The important thing, then, is how to break such negative karma or destiny. You have to develop the life force necessary to serenely overcome whatever hardships you may face, to never be defeated by them. Faith is the source of that strength. The true key to happiness is faith. We go back a lot to the unity of husband and wife. Um, we, we like to read that a lot, where he's basically telling us, you know, that Unity is is like the basis of a good marriage, you know, through this shared faith. And I guess maybe I'll read it. Another quote that I love a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And we laugh. It brings it brings smiles to our face. President Tola used to say that even a quarrel with your spouse, for example, is joyful. And that when you get angry, it is with a feeling of contentment. There's a lot of self-centeredness involved. This practice helps you get out of that. You know, when, you, when you're a leader, you have to, you know, you call and care for the members. That gets you out of your self-centeredness. So I think that helped a lot in uh, part of doing my human revolution you know, uh, myself growing up, yes, I did have therapy. There were times where I did go go to therapy. You know, looking at uh, what, what were my uh, 
self-esteem issues, you know, as well. But basically, you know, overcoming, you know, my self-centeredness and then learning how to care for other people helps you care. It's, it's a blurred line, actually, caring for other people and caring for yourself. In this vein, Ikeda-sensei also explains that the purpose of life is to become happy. So happy, in fact, that living itself is a joy. We practice Buddhism to realize this ultimate aim. And as Buddhists, our relationships serve as a mirror to polish ourselves, to deepen our happiness, and to fulfill our mission as bodhisattvas of the earth, striving to uplift humanity. I'll leave you today with Tanisha and Raphael's answers to one final question. What does their shared vision for a harmonious relationship based on Kosen Rufu look like for them? I think, you know, for me, it's been simple things like courage, you know, to have the courage to face and go after the things that you want in life. I didn't always have the courage. I was terrified as a teenager to go after, to even speak in public, you know, so to have courage and qualities like that, courage, perseverance, consistency, humility. And then like Tanisha had mentioned, the mentor-disciple relationship. I'm constantly, uh, you know, chanting to the Bohansons to inherit the mentor-disciple relationship because once you do that, the practice is a joy. It's not, it's not, it's not work at all. To me, it means and it looks like caring and respect like i said before that sheer faith and taking a hundred percent responsibility not 50 percent tanisha and 50 percent Raphael. a hundred percent we each take a hundred percent responsibility for this marriage i, I have a poem you know you know, to fncc you know, Florida Nature and Culture Center. And there was a poem there uh, by Ikeda Sensei. And this is the poem. It says, one path. It is the path of justice, a path of happiness, a path of peace, a path of freedom. It is a path of fond memories. I walk together with my wife. So before we conclude today's episode, let's recap. First, I'll pass it to Ayumi. Ayumi, what was your biggest takeaway from today's conversations? Thanks, Jihi. Those were powerful experiences by Sarah, Tanisha, and Raphael. All three show us through their own example that the key to a happy relationship is our own human revolution. Everything comes back to that. Happiness cannot be given to us, we must cultivate it ourselves. And that process involves uprooting the disbelief and doubts in our own life. So, maybe the question isn't just, what kind of relationship do I want? But more about, what human revolution do I want to challenge? How about you, Jihi? Is there anything else our listeners can walk away with? First, I totally agree, and I would only add the simple reminder that the best love song we can sing to ourselves is Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. As explained in the feature article that this episode is based on, which you can find in the October 2021 issue of Living Buddhism, 
Chanting is the most powerful way to bow deeply to our own Buddha nature and to call forth endless reserves of wisdom, courage, and compassion to face every obstacle with an undefeatable spirit. In other words, it's okay to take time to find and nurture long-term love. And as you shared, Ayumi, the best place to start is with ourselves. At the same time, caring for others for the sake of Kosen Rufu supercharges our own human revolution. So on that note, we'll leave you today with one final thought from Ikeda-sensei in The Wisdom for Creating Happiness and Peace, where he writes, When we look after and care for others— That is, help others draw forth their life force, our own life force increases. When we help people expand their state of life, our state of life also expands. I feel like Sarah, Tanisha, and Raphael all embodied this exact spirit. So before we sign off, just a quick reminder that for all the references mentioned on today's episode, you can check the show notes. Also, Buddhist Solutions, which is now part of your World Tribune subscription, will be coming out every other month this year. And on the next episode, we'll be tackling what sustainable happiness really is. (laughs) 